The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to the Writer Files. I am still your host, Kelton Reed. I'm going to take you on yet another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And in part two of this file, the multiple bestselling author of five books, including his latest, Real Artists Don't Starve, Jeff Goins returned for a special edition of the show to talk with me about the new renaissance his favorite books on creativity, and busting the commonly held beliefs of artists. In addition to being an entrepreneur and speaker, Jeff is a writing and creativity consultant, and his popular blog, Goins Writer, offers free tips about the writing life. His podcast, The Portfolio Life, also delves into many of the same topics via interviews with entrepreneurs and writers aimed squarely at helping listeners pursue work that matters. And on Jeff's last visit to the show in 2015, we talked about his best-selling book, The Art of Work, and how to think like a professional writer. His latest, Real Artists Don't Starve, dismantles the myth that being creative is a hindrance to success. And best-selling author Daniel Pink said of the book, every entrepreneur, writer, and artist should read this and take notes. Writers, I think you're going to enjoy this one. In part two of this file, Jeff and I discussed The Secret Life of Ernest Hemingway, debunking the idea of natural talent, why creatives need to either join a scene or create one, how the idea of the starving artist has been romanticized through the ages, and why you need to make money to make more and better art. If you missed the first half of the show, you can find it in the archives on Apple Podcasts and in the show notes. Enjoy. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. Man, I just, I, I love this idea of creativity and community. And yeah. so uh, in the book, I tell a story about um, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and... Um, Two hacks, uh, total hacks. Yeah. 
and, and basically <laughs> how they how they influenced each other as writers. Yeah. And uh, they were a part of a group called the Inklings, which is you know we would call a mastermind group today. And they met for uh, decades, and it was nineteen men, uh, most of which were Oxford professors, all uh, writers, and they would get together and share their writing with each other um, every single week. And and so there's a book called The Fellowship, which is about mm. them. Uh, that just came out a couple of years ago. It's it's a long book. It's like seven hundred pages. Uh, it's really good. <laughs> can I? It's can I rent the movie? <laughs> <laughs> I when I, when books are that long, I just get the audio book. I just listen <laughs> yeah, to the bits and yeah. pieces. Oh, uh, I love to put one in the car. Uh, yeah, just whatever. It's it's good, but I mean, basically, it's telling the story of nineteen men's lives. <laughs> uh, so it's it's long. Um, and a person who wrote about the Inklings uh, is a woman named Diana Glyer, who I interviewed for this book. And she's, uh, I think, probably one of the foremost living experts on the Inklings right now. Mm. Um, and she wrote a book that's a bit more readable called Bandersnatch, which is mm-hmm. like like 200 pages. Um, and, uh, and it's just about how these famous writers influenced each other. And how for many, many years we thought they didn't. It's really interesting. Hmm. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I think coming back to – this is a total aside actually. It made me think of an article I read recently about a historian who studied um, Hemingway and found out that he was um, actually a spy uh, or, an, or he was – sorry, he was recruited um, as a spy – by by the USSR is that yeah the, is that the Russian yeah the yeah Russian. he was he was yeah like a communist sympathizer yeah yeah apparently well what's interesting about story. it is um uh, I'm like addicted to Hemingway biographies I've probably read a dozen um and there was um his editor wrote a memoir about him uh, years ago mm-hmm. called Papa Hem- Papa Hemingway. And the author's name is A.E. Hotchner. Aaron Hotchner was was um, his editor and his friend <clears throat> and travel companion for many years. And um, uh, the last year or two of his life, uh, Hemingway was um, paranoid, and he thought he kept he kept saying that the FBI was spying on him, that they were listening to his calls and following him. And you know, shortly after that, he committed suicide. And in the book, Hotchner, you know, basically uses this to say, you know, he was paranoid and, um, uh, you know, losing his mind. It turns out it was true. Like the, like they yeah. found out decades later. And I think that article, cause I read that too, uh, references this. No, they were really spying on him cause they suspected him of being a communist sympathizer cause he lived in Cuba for a while. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're like, yeah, we, we think he, you know, and my understanding is he didn't like give away any information or anything. Uh, no, but, but yeah, like he was, I don't know, on their side or something. Yeah. Whatever that means. Sure. And it was, the world was a different place then. Right. Um, not that I'm, uh, promoting, uh, <laughs> anything like that, but it is a pretty fascinating story. And it's, I, I like think it. it's hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around that idea of Papa, uh, and yeah, it's weird. It's a weird story, but, uh, I'll link to, yeah. to that article I found, which would, which would obviously be a shorter version of probably one of the longer biographies that mentioned it. But 
And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Um, anyway, coming back to uh, writers who say so often, but I'm no Hemingway. Mm. What, what do you say to them? What's your response to them? Because so much of this book kind of is, is angled at, at those folks. I think my answer to that is neither was he at one point, yeah. you know, um, I, I really dismiss the idea of talent, meaning that some of us are born to be great and the rest of us are born to be just okay. I don't, I don't think it's true. I think science pretty clearly debunks that for the most part. And, and, and there are these very, very rare exceptions uh, about you know somebody having like a genetic predisposition for a certain ability, uh, particularly you know in a- athletics and physical achievements. But you know un- unless you have like a mental handicap, um, what you are able to achieve cognitively, intellectually, um, like is is unlimited. Yeah, and, and, and as long as you're willing to put in the time and, and do the work, Anders Ericsson talks about this in his book Peak, and how we all have the tools to be really, really great at what we do. Um, and and yeah, it may be true that you know you're not going to be like Hemingway the way that he was because he was a man of his times. Uh, and um, I just bought a book about this woman who um, was the first woman, I've never heard her name before, and she was the first woman to fly nonstop over the Atlantic. Hmm. Uh, but she did it from east to west, right? So we've all heard, heard about wow. Charles Lindbergh, right? We've all yeah. heard about Charles Lindbergh. He's the first person to do it from west to east. She did it from east to west, uh, nonstop, fled across the Atlantic, and she wrote a memoir about it. And the the quote on the front is Hemingway saying, Basically, I could never write like this. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, I am fascinated, uh, and, and I included in Real Artists Don't Starve a bunch of stories because I love, you know, I, I obviously love author and artist biographies. Uh, I've been reading them for years, but I love finding out where people got their start because it feels humanizing. Um, like it feels like you're humanizing figures that in many ways are larger than life like Hemingway when he died was a god um when he the day that he died JFK uh uh went on the air and said we are mourning the loss of beloved American author Ernest Hemingway Hmm. like that wouldn't happen today like even if it were like Stephen (laughs) King right probably not it it wouldn't I, like I do not think it would happen. Like we're just a different era, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So um, 
he, you know, when he died, he was a larger than life figure and has continued to become more and more immortal. When he started out in Paris, which is why I, lo- I love that biography, he was just a kid and he wasn't that good of a writer. No. Like he was, he was fine, but I mean, like he wasn't like winning contests as a kid. He'd been writing since high school. Uh, he did, he worked for the school paper. There's always something that he was doing, but it wasn't like, he wasn't like a, necessarily a prodigy, you know, he wasn't Mozart doing it since, you know, three years old or something. Yeah. Uh, but what he did do, what was smart was he went where creative work was happening. And Mihai Csikszentmihalyi in his, in that book, Creativity says, if you want to be creative, it is easier to move someplace where creativity is already happening and that will rub off on you than it is to just will yourself to be more creative. So creativity, because we think it's solitary, but it's environmental too, which is why the whole social dynamic thing has been really, really interesting to me. And you look at two authors like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, who, uh, you know, whose two, you know, greatest works, The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, are two of the most read, best-selling books of all time, much less, you know, the 20th century, of all time. And, oh, they were friends and they... (laughs) influenced each other yeah like like creativity has a way of sort of clustering together and if you go where those things are happening even if it's online today because it's easier to find these clusters than it's ever been um it will make you better so i think hemingway became hemingway i think you read that book hemingway the paris years or just understand his story he would not have become the household name he is today if he didn't go to paris you know in the 1920s yeah yeah it makes it reminded me of that uh weird um woody allen movie with uh, i love that movie uh is it owen wilson yeah midnight yeah in Paris. yeah it's a, it's such a cool movie and it's got that weird kind of like supernatural element to <laughs> it where he goes back in time and he's kind of hanging out with those guys it's um, a great that's i mean but that's like i've read several books on this era because i think it's a very i guess like owen wilson you know i i'm a nostalgist uh <laughs> yeah, yeah you know uh, uh and i think it's uh, I mean, it's it's the movie does a really good job of, um, uh, you know, showing that dynamic. Picasso was there. Gertrude Stein was there. Right. Uh, T.S. Eliot was there. F. Scott Fitzgerald was there. Hemingway was there. And they were all influencing each other. I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, Austin Kleon had a, a funny name for it. Um, what did he call it? Senius. So he kind of took yeah, yeah, yeah. scene, which you talk about, uh, and genius, and combined them, and yeah, you got to kind of find your, you got to find your people. Yep, doesn't happen in a vacuum, dude. I'm That's talk- right. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking and- to you, listener. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, if you want to be more creative, you have to join a creative scene, and and you you may bemoan the fact that you don't live in L.A. or New York or wherever, but I think every place has a people and Richard Florida talks about that in, um, uh, uh, creative class that each city has sort of advantages and disadvantages. And so, you know, I live in Nashville. I don't live in New York city. You know, you could easily argue that New York is bigger and better and more creative and there's more opportunity there. Mm. But Nashville has some interesting advantages over say in New York for a writer like me, who's, you know, trying to get started, especially, you know, when I was doing this five, six years ago, um, it's smaller. And so it's easier for me to connect with people that I want to connect with because there's just fewer people trying to get at them. It's easier to bump into people. 
Um, and Nashville, um, a lot of people from Hollywood have moved or built a second home in, in Nashville. Lots of people in the music and film industry. Uh, Justin Timberlake lives here now. I mean, lots of really, you know, Nicole Kidman's, you know, yeah. really interesting people. Jack, Jack White there? Yeah. He's so, been here for okay. a while. Yeah. Um, and there's no paparazzi. We leave celebrities alone. Um, and so what's interesting about that though, is you can actually, like, I, um, I, I've like become friends with people that like, I, you know, grew up listening to their music hmm. or watching their movies. Cause I bumped into them enough times that they became neighbors and friends. I mean, it's super interesting. That's and, cool. and so I think every, um, city has its advantages and you just have to see those and go, how can I join this scene here right now? Cause I think we can all sit and bemoan the fact that we don't live here or there. Sure. Um, but it's about joining whatever scene is in front of you uh, or even creating one. Um, I read that, like I was thinking about this, like, is this always true? Um, and, um, I think it is, but it happens in kind of two different ways. You either join a scene or you create one. And so forever, every Hemingway in Paris, there's a Bronte in Haworth. Haworth was a small rural town in England, uh, where the Bronte sisters grew up who, you know, eventually became, you know, uh, uh, authors, all of them, mm-hmm. all three of them. And growing up, they didn't have a scene They didn't, and they were kind of shut-ins. Their father was a minister. He didn't really want them kind of going out into the town and being, you know, tainted by the world. And so he educated them at home and they, they, you know, lived in this house and on this land and they really didn't get around other kids their age very much, but they played with each other. And so growing up, they would, um, create these fantasy lands and they would tell e- each other stories around like using toys, like narrating the, these, these, um, uh, like the games that they were playing. Right. Yeah. Um, and eventually that turned into them as kids writing 20, 30, 50, 60,000 word books, <laughs> novels, just to entertain themselves. And then they would share their poetry and their stories with each other and they would give each other feedback. And so by the time they were hitting their 20s, they were accomplished writers. They had mastered their craft, not because they did it alone, but because they had created a little scene between you know a handful of them. And they all became uh, successfully published authors. Um, and you know, they've created timeless works of literature, not because they were trying to be a lone genius, but because they found a scene and made the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, coming back to maybe a subject that's sometimes like just taboo for writers and artists in general, you know, just talk about money for a minute. Um, because it's something that we, you know, that obviously the book, um, talks about and it's important. Um, but it's why why is it so hard for for writers especially to talk about or be transparent about money the money part of it? I think there's two reasons. This goes for all creative people, writers especially. Um, one, there is this rom- romantic notion that if you're starving, if you're struggling, the work is somehow better. I just I mean I I just think there's this idea, and it comes from the whole romantic myth of the starving artist, which you mentioned the Renaissance in the Renaissance artists were wealthy. Yeah. Michael, Michelangelo is the richest of them and he sets a new precedent <laughs> and there, there, there are many, I mean, just let that sink in. Michelangelo was the richest artist of the Renaissance. That's right. Like when you think of him, you cannot think sell out, right? Like it is impossible. He was a master. Yeah. And, and so first of all, we have to just realize, okay, you don't have to sell out, um, to make money. And, and you don't have to go broke to be brilliant because here's a guy who did who did both. 
who made a bunch of money and was probably the best. And, and after him, he sets a new precedent. And for years, hundreds of years, um, artists are known uh, in Western Europe as like high standing members of society, aristocrats. At least the possibility for that exists. And then, you know, in the, in the mid 1800s, there's this guy named Henri Merger who writes um, a short series of short stories that becomes eventually becomes the opera La Boheme, uh, Moulin Rouge, mm -hmm. Rent. All those different stories come from this, and it is, um, it, you know, romanticizing poverty. And basically, mm -hmm. it, it and the story lives on today, even though the opportunity to do creative work for a living has never been better, especially for writers. Oh my God, like start a blog. I mean, you know this, like this, this is not a difficult thing to do. If you want to make a living as a writer, start a blog, build an audience, self-publish some stuff. Like you can do it in a year if you want to, you know, maybe less. Um, so why do we struggle with this? Two reasons. One, it's, it's a romantic ideal. And we think that if I hold on to this, it makes my work better because we mistakenly believe that the greats were broke. And they propagate this myth themselves. Hemingway, in his book, A Movable Feast, talks about being broke in Paris. Um, the truth is, he was doing fine. Um, he, there's a, there's a, have you ever read that book, A Movable Feast? There's, a, there's an essay in it w where he, I think the essay is called, um, Like Hunger Makes for Good Motivation. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how he skips meals and it makes him a better writer. Right, right. Um, and the truth is he was a journalist and he and his wife were traveling a lot. They lived in, you know, an apartment. They didn't have a lot of money, but they were doing fine. Um, but you know, like all of these writers kind of look back on, you know, when they got started, they're like, Oh, I was, I was poor. Um, the, my most fa favorite story about this, and often they weren't my most favorite story about this is, um, uh, um, F Scott Fitzgerald. He was making the equivalent of five hundred thousand dollars a year as a writer. Wow! Like he was, he was, he was not broke. Now he <laughs> and his, he and Zelda were living high and mighty, and so he was spending a lot of it. Right. So he wasn't good at managing it, but like, yeah, he was just doing just fine. So the first, I think we romanticize it. Second, the probably the biggest reason actually is writers um, are afraid of being judged by other writers. Yeah, and if you talk about money. Because there's this thing like, well, I'm not doing it for the money, right? Um, and if you're making a bunch of money, then it sounds like you're doing it for the money. And and that is apparently the wrong motivation, <laughs> you know. And yeah. and I, like and I think I think that's fair. Like I think I don't think Stephen King is doing it for the money, right? Because he was doing it when he didn't have any money and he was working at a laundromat and and you know that was his second job while he was also teaching English at a high school. And he wrote Carrie, you know, sitting on the dryer uh, on his typewriter, you know, and threw right. it in the trash and his wife pulled it out. It's a great story. <laughs> um, and he would be writing even if he weren't making tens of millions of dollars a year. So I don't think it – I don't think that you do it for the money. But I think the money becomes a means of doing more work. Like that great Walt Disney quote where somebody criticized him and said – you're just doing it for the money. He said, no, we don't make films to make money, but we make money so that we can make more films. Yeah. Love that. Love, love that. The business of arts, you can make money to make more and better art. Yeah. 
Good, good stuff. Well, uh, before we wrap up here, I just want to remind listeners that the book is Real Artists Don't Starve, Timeless Strategies for Thriving in a New Creative Age by Mr. Jeff Goins. And that can be found at don'tstarve.com. Where else do we want to point listeners to kind of connect with you? I know you're at goinswriter.com. Yeah, goinswriter.com. Um, always have free stuff there if you want to sign up for the newsletter. Um, and you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Goins. If there was something that I said here that you liked or disagreed with, that's probably the best place to connect with me where yeah. um, I'll actually respond. That's at Jeff Goins. For sure. And I'll also link back to our original discussion where we actually plumbed the depths of Jeff's uh, writing process for a couple hours um, <laughs> in 2015. So long. <laughs> it, was the, it was awesome because it was like the last podcast of the year. And I was like, um, as soon as I wrapped it and published it, it was like I, I took a vacation. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was a great, it's a great one. A good talk that we had. Uh, so I'll link to that also. But yeah, um, Real Artists Don't Starve dismantles the myth that being creative is a hindrance to success by revealing how an artistic temperament is in fact a competitive advantage in the marketplace. And there's so much good stuff in there. It's one you're going to want to keep around um, and refer back to, I think. I mean, there's just so many great stories. In there. And it's just inspiring, I think, for really any artist, but but especially writers. Um, so uh, yeah, hey man, thanks for your great work. Thanks for coming back on and rapping with us and busting the myth uh, of that uh, starving artist thing. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Love myth busting. It's my favorite, <laughs> favorite hobby. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy the writer files, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And for more episodes or just to leave a comment or a question, you can always drop by writerfiles.fm and chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Bye.